All right, and I'm here with Remy LaBeouf this time around. Uh, we're talking about his release that came out back in May, uh, Light as a Word. And Remy, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, man, there's a, there's a lot of things about you that uh, pique some interest of mine. And I think where I want to start off, um, lately I've been trying to write more often. And I noticed uh, in your bio when I was reading up a little bit on you, you talk about how you implore like literary elements to kind of motivate your compositions and whatnot. Can you expand on that? Because sometimes, I mean, I feel like as musicians, if we don't ever get like that one idea that we think's great, we maybe uh, you know don't write as much or, or whatnot. So it's interesting that you've uh, found other inspiration. And how is that? Uh, you know. How'd you get into that? How does that motivate your compositions? How, how do you see it reflective? Like, all, you know, all of that stuff. Sure. Um, I guess there was a time when I was uh, uh, studying in school when I, I wanted to experiment with different forms in music. And I thought about, you know, what is a, a very uh, classic and standard form that goes back, you know, as far as music goes back, and that's the structure of a story. So I thought I would look at some stories and kind of shape the music around the stories. And, uh, that was uh, a fun little change in my, uh, creative process. And around that time, I was also, uh, taking some classes in like anthropology and stuff like that. So I had, I had all these, these new ideas and I was learning about all these new different things that were kind of making their way into, uh, my, my creative process. So, uh, yeah. And I think also like, uh, there were certain, certain like essays like there's a freud essay called the uncanny where freud talks about um this uh concept of the uncanny coming up in various uh ways in literature and giving all these examples and i was thinking oh hmm, i wonder how this works in music and so i tried uh you know studying um some scores and like finding like oh where where does this you know device happen and i, I just started kind of thinking about music and language the same way and um the more i thought about it the more it made sense and uh, the more improvisation and the kind of music we make as jazz improvisers, you know, uh, that made a lot of sense to me too. You know, the way that we converse with each other, the way that we listen, um, uh, devices that were effective even in speech and conversation, I found were very effective in music. So it, it kind of made its way into the foundations of my understanding of music. Now, do you, um, do you use that in improvisation as well? Because I know, uh, you know, Shelley Berg was given a masterclass a while back and he's talking about like one of the things that really helped develop his improvisation and all is like, he has a very strong relationship with uh, melodies and solos and, and even the melodies of tunes if they don't have lyrics and pairing uh, words with them, you know, to really outline like, like a story. Uh, have you used that in improvisation? Is it mostly like uh, compositionally based? And I know for, for jazz, this stuff's kind of, you know, almost hand in hand. I mean, there have been a couple times where I've I've thought that way when improvising, but it's not a regular process for me, like thinking of specific words to the notes I'm playing. But I think uh, a better uh, um, a better comparison would be the conversation that we're having right now. Yeah. You know, I'm improvising my words. You're improvising your words and our responses. We're listening to each other. We are engaging in a form of communication and sharing ideas. And hey. It's for the entertainment of people listening right now, even. So that process is, is to me, the same process that we undergo when we are uh, playing with our instruments and interacting, you know. 
this could be a, a boring interview or it could be an exciting interview. And like, how are we making it what it is, you know? <laughs> right. Now with so. this, um, so like, you know, there, there's kind of like, I guess, a, a foundation or an, uh, or at least an understanding of where maybe you get some of your uh, compositional influences of, you know, if you want to say. Uh, with this last record, Light as a Word, what what was the, 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 the idea behind that? Like, is that one of those records that you approach and you're mm -hmm. like, I have this concept, here it is, like, and the entire thing kind of revolves around that? Or was it selections of different compositions that you were just like, I really love these, I want to record these, I want to put them out? Or, or what, what was holding it all together? There? Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between those two things. It's like a chicken and egg scenario, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have my musical values and they're a part of everything that I am. And these songs came out of that. But then, you know, that was developed through the, you know, process of performing these songs. So it's all really a part of the same thing. And um, these these are songs that I've been playing over the over many years on touring and adjusting and um, finding myself able to engage with my bandmates and the audience um, over the structures of these songs. and. Um, and uh, this particular band, um, I, I just I just enjoy playing with people who I like to converse with musically. You know, there are some people I'm I feel more comfortable having a a conversation with in front of an audience. And uh, the bandmates that I chose are people that you know I've developed in music alongside, or who I feel have like a a particular concept that fits really well with my concept. And uh, we were able to uh, you know communicate um, effectively and, uh, in, in, in an engaging way, uh, over the music. Now, how would you, um, th like, that's interesting. Cause like, I agree with you. I think like the best music is, is usually made with those that like you're very close with outside of music, you know, like you're good friends with, like they know, uh, what your favorite food is. Like, it's just someone that you feel very open with because obviously it's like a very, uh, exposed in environment. Um, how did you go around choosing these bands or, or like how long have you been with people? Because, you know, there's so many people that when they record an album, they might just try and um, snag a name that they may or may not know well, um, you know, or just getting hiring side men or, or side women or whatnot. How did you go about doing this? Do you guys like re rehearse and play regularly? Because, you know, I would say that you guys are, are not just uh, playing head tunes. <laughs> you know, you're not just playing down the melody and then and then blowing. So talk about that process a little bit. Sure. I mean, everybody is their own special case, but um, everyone on this album I've known for uh, at least 10 years um, and pro played with um, some people more than others and some people more recently. But uh, for example, uh, you know, Peter Cronreif I've been touring with for 10 years um, with LaBeouf Brothers and my own other projects. He's playing drums on the album. Matt Brewer, we recorded... Um, my first serious album, House That Adore, together, um, and have been playing uh, together since then. Aaron Parks is somebody I've known since I was in high school, um, and he's always been a very supportive presence in my life. We haven't played as much together until more recently, but um, we've had a lot of conversations about music, and actually, this particular music we like got together and we like, talked about it. You know, probably a year or two before the recording session, and you know, he was very involved in the project in that way, and he was emotionally invested and i i uh, you know love his contributions um uh to the the jazz world not just to my music you know he's he's an incredible thinker and uh pianist 
Um, Walter Smith is somebody I went to school with and then had school of music when I first moved to New York when I was 18 years old. Um, am, I, am I leaving anyone out? I think, I, I think that covers it. Oh, Charles Altura. He's another guy. I met him in high school. Um, and uh, I we played music with his, his uh, younger brother even growing up. And, uh, you know, we've gotten to play together a little more uh, recently. But, um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a, a good friend and uh, I love his music. So now, I, just, I thought everyone would work really well together too, you know. Right, right, right. Now, when you, um, it's interesting, you hit on this point with Aaron where I guess you, uh, you said you guys got up and like you talked about the music and like the emotions behind the music and, and the inspiration behind the music. Um, was that something that always came easy for you? Because in, in my experience, uh, either as a student in college, you know, working with other people around my age when I was doing my undergrad or whatnot, or working um, with students now that are even younger, I feel like there's there's a disconnect there sometimes. You know, it's very hard for some people to to uh, emotionally get invested into the composition or to um, at least open up and talk in that type of uh, a way about it and how to, you know, deal with that. So was was that always easy? Like, how did you learn to deal with it or whatnot? Or... I mean, I think a lot of the emotional stuff we didn't have to get too deep into because, you know, I don't want to define the emotions that he's going to be putting into each song. You know, that's kind of his call. But like in terms of, you know, the music and the, the gestures and, you know, some of those things, it was really easy actually uh, to discuss that stuff with him because I... We, I respect him so much and I respected his ideas. And um, I think we kind of saw a lot of things in the same way. So it wasn't uh, like there was any um, disagreement or, um, uh, you know, tension there. You know, it, it was all very, very logical. You know, if he made a point or if I made a point, um, I think we were kind of speaking the same language, <laughs> for lack of a better metaphor. We were speaking the same language and could understand, you know what we right. meant by that. So no, that's awesome. Um, but you know, another thing that I think kind of speaks to, uh, your band and how, f how close you guys are and how friendly you guys are, man, is you guys, well, I guess you, uh, probably put out the funniest band teaser I've ever seen with <laughs> the, uh, the interview you guys did. Uh, what, <laughs> whose idea was that? Because it's like, at first when I watched it, I definitely was like, wait, what, <laughs> what, <laughs> And then I watched it all the way through and I was like, man, this, this is hilarious. It's probably like every take of every bad interview with a band because someone doesn't know, you know like, <laughs> what to say or whatever. And, and like, you're watching, you're like, wow, this is cringeworthy. And then you go back and you're like, this is the best thing ever. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, that was completely by accident. Um, I had all this uh, footage of interviews. So we had a recording session, you know, and then we took a break during the recording session. And I think I had uh, the photographer take some shots of me or the film crew was setting up in the main room. Or I, I forgot exactly what was going on, but um, we interviewed each person and Pascal, my, my brother, he was um, kind of there for, uh, to, to sort of shadow produce the session and like uh, be kind of a supportive presence. And uh, while I was taking care of other stuff, he was asking them questions and Pascal's a total goof. So like he would ask questions like, you know, do you like smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? <laughs> or like, I think he asked Peter if he likes, if he prefers boxers or briefs because Peter actually has an underwear endorsement. 
um, with a company called Pullen. They're like a French company. They make like bathing suits and stuff like that too, but you can ask him about it. But um, there, yeah, there were just some other funny moments. Like we'd be joking around or Matt Brewer was talking about playing with um, Antonio Sanchez and like, you know, that there's, that's where he's like, where did all those chops come from? It's like the nineties, you know, like we were just kind of like goofing around and the camera was rolling or we'd be like in between two more serious questions. Funny thing is I have all these great answers from those guys, um, uh, from those little interviews of talking about the music, saying interesting things, talking about our history together. But um, I just put together all the awkward moments in the jokes and, uh, you know, kind of, I, it's like, wow, you know, there are all these like dorky moments or like things like that, where I was, oh man, I'm just going to isolate all these and put them together. And I think we've all just, we've, maybe it's just musicians, but we've all seen so many of those kind of like Kickstarter videos or those like album release videos. And, um, and I just thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do one of these, I need to, I need to make it, make it a little bit special. So that that was a lot of fun for me. I, I had a good time with that. And all the guys in the band were like really good sports about it. They're like, yeah, sure. Put it out. <laughs> right, all right. So um, I'll, I'll probably still make the serious ones at some point. I just need to get around to it. But, um, but yeah, we, we had a lot of fun with that stuff. Man, I don't know. I don't know if you should put out the serious one because like, yeah, that, okay. <laughs> that's good. Man, have you ever thought about, uh, I don't know how much you're on social media or anything, but you should mm-hmm. submit it to that, uh, that jazz memes, Instagram page. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I will. Man, I That's, think I, you send me a link to that later, but I, I will. mean, there's, um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, well, I forgot. <laughs> well, look, it, look, regardless, it's hilarious and people that haven't seen it, uh, you should go watch it because there's, you know, if you don't even have audio to watch it, there's jo- jokes made throughout like misspellings of your name or Aaron. Oh, yeah. oh man. I, I get so many misspellings of my name. It's, it's fascinating. Like more than half the time, like people just don't, don't take a second to Google it. Like people just don't care. Like important man, venues. I don't, I don't like think people, you understand though. I was watching it the oh, first man. time and like, I remember texting Nick and I was like, Hey, whoever edited this, I'm pretty sure spelt Remy's name wrong. <laughs> and he was like, did you watch all of it? And I was like, Nick, like, I can't listen to sound right now, but like, did our editor do this? Because his name is spelt wrong. Oh yeah. I think it, Walter Smith, the third is Walter Smith, tenor sax three or like something like I had, I had a lot of fun with it, but. Oh, I remember what I was going to say before. It was that um, I think my 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 girlfriend's aunt like watched the video and she was like, I don't understand. Like, what is going on? Like, she didn't realize that it was like a joke video because, you know, she doesn't watch a million jazz videos like in her social right, right, media right. stream all the time. So it's <laughs> funny. So I feel like I do have to put something normal out eventually. But uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. Thanks for watching it. Thanks for checking. No, it out. no I mean, thanks for putting it. You know, it's it's great because like you always get. um. Like, and this is in no way putting down other people's videos, but sometimes when they, when they release like a Kickstarter video or something and they're so passionate about their music, because obviously you are tied to it and all, and they get caught up about talking about um, their music. Sometimes it's hard for people to relate and just like enjoy it right then without also being able to then hear the music. Um, So having something where it's just like, Hey, look, <laughs> we're just cracking jokes and we like being together. It's yeah. like, okay, cool. I can relate to that, you know? Oh, cool. <laughs> um, man, and kind of springboarding off of that, um, something I'm a, that I'm a huge believer in is that people 
check out our music and like our music because they're invested in us. Uh, necess- you know, sadly, like jazz isn't the popular music. Anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't even know if that's necessarily a bad thing. But the chance of someone coming up on your music on the radio is low. Um, so I want to ask you some stuff that's maybe not music related. Sure. Uh, like what was uh, when Aaron... Aaron and Matt actually both came to FSU while I was doing my master's there with Ben Wendell. Um, Mm -hmm. And one thing that they're talking a lot about was books. So what is the last book that you read that you're a huge fan of? Oh, um, well, I'm in the middle of uh, Gentleman in Moscow right now. That's a pretty good one. Um, The last book that I read that I was a big fan of. It's funny, like my memory is so short term. Um, um, I recently reread the whole Harry Potter series because it was a rough winter. <laughs> <laughs> that I really like that winter? book, uh, Sapiens by, um, okay. uh, what is it? Uh, Harari, um, I think is his last name or something. Yeah. Great book. There was this, um, this book that they were kind of preaching when they were down there. Um, okay. which I don't know if you've read it because Aaron seemed very into it at the time. Um, called Daily Rituals: How Artists Work. Oh no, I've read that. That's great. Oh, phenomenal book. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It just talks about all these all these. Um, uh, for anyone who's listening who hasn't read it, I guess it's all all these inner like just the process, the daily ritual for all these famous people, like architects, composers, artists, like are like everyone and uh, across like all of history. It's just, it's got like Mozart's like daily routine and John Adams has daily routine. And yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. I was amazed. Cause like they came, you know, and like some of us are like writing down things or whatever. And Aaron was like, you need to get this book. Yeah. He was like, if anything, it'll serve as a good book for your coffee table. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a great book. I mean, I've, I've reread it a number of times, you know, another good one. This came from Maria Schneider. It's called the art spirit by Robert Henri. And it's a, it's from the perspective of a painter, but man, it applies to anyone who's doing anything creative. It's fascinating. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I totally recommend that to anyone who's like an artist or musician. Well, or awesome anything. Because it almost, um, not like devalues them, but like it helps bring it back into reality. You know, when you oh, totally that, like, someone like Richard Strauss, like, Oh, what did he do every day? He woke up and like, he stretched and then had breakfast. It's like, well, yeah. damn, I can do that. And Ben Franklin had his like wind bath in the morning. Yeah. Like where he just like shivered for like an hour. Like I forgot what it was, but yeah, it's fascinating. Like, um, like John Adams is very, he has green tea every day and he has like a very set thing. He's got this little mountain area where he writes or Kafka was like tormented about everything he had to do. It, it's so, it's very humanizing. Yeah. <laughs> um, going off of that, and this might seem like a really far-fetched idea for some. Um, what do you do when you're not doing music? Like, what is your escape from it? Oh, um, you know, where does music end and other life begin, really? Because, like, <laughs> you know, I spent the whole morning doing, like, busy work on my computer related to music, but it wasn't music. And I haven't gotten to play music yet today. So, you know, a lot of it's just uh, computer chores, you know, but, but the things what about that like I enjoyed. 
Sure, yeah, but it's like you enjoy, oh, like not the I work. I am an <laughs> avid mycologist. I am very interested in mushroom foraging, mushroom hunting. Um, this, yeah, um, fascinated by it. Um, I um, I grew up hunting for mushrooms in the woods. I even sold some to fancy restaurants, and uh, it was like a, a project I did for my science class when I was twelve. And then I just got really into it. Now I've got all these mushroom books and part of the mycological society and you know it's i'm pretty deep into it that's that's like awesome and intriguing because i actually had a friend uh when i was in college he like he played music and whatnot uh but his like main gig was growing mushrooms and he oh, like really? sold he would grow them. Mushrooms. yeah like mm-hmm. he he had like a mushroom farm i guess you know yeah. I mean, you can get um, these little grow kits where you like put them in your closet and spray them with water and you can grow portobellas or oyster mushrooms. But uh, there are a lot of mushrooms that you, you can't just grow commercially. They have these kind of, um, was it microcorsal? I think that's the word, relationships with trees and the, the root systems. And, uh, you know, you have to you have to get them in the wild. You have to forage for like chanterelles, for example, or morels. You can't just grow them commercially. And I think that's why they're so prized in uh, in cooking so that's that's nuts because we were just talking the other day too about uh i explained to him and i you know i don't know how many different types of mushrooms or whatever i've had but i don't think people really know uh, the differences between them you know like if they go to the store what are they buying they're either buying white mushrooms or they're buying baby bells oh yeah i mean there's a whole world i mean that would be like saying like all vegetables are the same or all meat is the same like it all tastes so different and the textures the taste the there's just such a range um, of, of flavors and textures and, um, you know, things in, in, in mushrooms that most people don't even know. Um, there are a lot of mediocre tasting mushrooms, too, that you can find in the wild. And there are a lot of poisonous ones. So you need to be very careful. You need to study um, equally the ones that uh, you need to avoid. Right. In no way are we advertising anybody that's listening to this to just go out and grab the first mushroom (laughs) and like pop in your mouth. Okay. Yeah. There we go. That is, that is not the message of this one at all. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what about this? You're from the uh, West coast and then you moved to New York. Mm -hmm. How does, how does, how is that for you? I know like some people that I've talked to, like they are absolutely adore. They, they're uh in love with the west coast and then you know they moved to east coast and they're like ah you know i'm here for what i need to be here for but like my love still stays over there or vice versa you know what is um what was that transition like for you because you know new york city is no small town uh yeah i mean i i think both places are beautiful in their own ways i mean i've always have a special place in my heart for santa cruz my hometown and growing up like in the forest out there, you know, it was it was magical. I grew up in a in a a special bubble of like nature and community that you just can't get anywhere else. And um, you know, I'll never stop loving Santa Cruz. Uh but uh New York has its its own things that I love about it as well, you know. And one of those things is the music scene. So uh you know, I'm not like one or the other, you know, it's it's uh it's complicated, but uh um it, it was a, it was definitely a transition when I first came over here. I had to get used to it, um, and I, I feel like New York. Sometimes I would uh, I have I have so many friends here, and there's so much happening 
so many great shows, I would kind of get wrapped up in all the things that was happening, all the things that were happening, and I would just get kind of stressed out and overwhelmed by it. And then I'd go to California and I'd oh, catch a breath there. And then I'd come back and I'd feel relaxed until I started to get overwhelmed again. And then I'd go back to California. And I think after you know a certain number of years, I kind of figured out how to keep my uh, California vibe in New York. And I, yeah. I don't really get overwhelmed anymore. I, I mean, I, I, I don't go out as much. <laughs> um, right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got, you know, um, a smaller circle of friends, I guess. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I've, it's taken a long time, maybe 10 years, you know, to, to figure out how to, you know, be myself in New York without New York kind of taking over me. <laughs> um, do you still feel um, for the modern day jazz musician or someone that wants to pursue in that you know way, whether you call it black American music, jazz music, whatever, whatever you want to call it? Um, do you think New York is still a have to, or do you think it's a spot where maybe you should spend some time? Or what are your what are your opinions there? Um, no, New York isn't a have to. I mean. I think that a lot of New Yorkers move here and then they feel like, you know, everyone else has to live in New York, you know, because they don't want to admit to themselves maybe that, you know, it could work somewhere else or they don't know any different or I don't know. I mean, people, uh, people get very uh, attached to their own, you know, lives and, you know, a lot of people are out here, but I lived in LA for a little while. It's a different scene out there. You know, I can't expect New York things in LA. But, you know, the same same thing goes the other way, too. There are all these other communities in different parts of the country that are really beautiful. And, you know, it's just going to be a different thing. Um, but and I don't think you have to be in New York. Um, okay. I, and to, to, to play um, what I, I like for, for, for the modern stuff, you know, because um, that's what you're talking about, right? The, I like Ben Wendell's term, the jazz adjacent music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just interesting because like when you get out of um, like at least at Florida State where I went to school, you know, there was there were uh, two large to the people that weren't going on to grad school. Like either you were taking a break from school or you were finishing your grad school. We had a large group of people that went to New Orleans or a large group of people that went to New York. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's just obviously like these hubs that are larger cities generally because that's where music like this tends to thrive. Um. And, you know, even somewhat from maybe the teachers that are a little bit older and that grew up in like the uh, the early like the 90s is when they're coming, you know, the the roaring lions and all that young lions. Um, oh, yeah. They still kind of have like that thing of like, man, you need to go to New York. Like you need to you need to cut your teeth. You need to feel it out a little. Bit. I mean, yeah, I mean, New York will give you a certain kind of, um, you know, kick in the butt for sure. Yeah, some humility. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yes. And I, I think, you know, New York has a lot of depth um, in terms of jazz, uh, jazz music. You know, like there are, there are so many great musicians here. You know, you might not have that number of musicians in other places, but there are great musicians in other places. There are amazing musicians I know in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, in New Orleans, in, um, you know, in New York, of course, and, and also in like Amsterdam. Or Paris. I mean, there are a lot of different places you can you can live and still be able to make music on a very high level. So, not to say that one shouldn't move to New York, but uh, you know, you don't have to. Right now, um, you know, I guess kind of to wrap it up here. 
if you were to look back at yourself, uh, you know, either in school or as a, a younger musician or something, what do you wish that you did differently and practice more? We're not going to accept here because <laughs> who didn't sure. wish that they learned how to practice their first or second year? Um, what, what do you wish you were doing in school that you, you know, you got out and you're like, damn. <laughs> um, I think uh, if I could, if I could redo some things, I think I, I would take myself a little less seriously. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I, I saw, you know, the music as the most important thing, you know, but there are other important things around that music. It's not all about just the music. You know, people need to have a good time in a rehearsal or, um, you know, I need to, it's, it's important that I enjoy myself too, you know? So I think, um, you know, I think I, I just tell myself to take things like a little less seriously, have a little more fun. <laughs> yeah. And I, look, I think that's uh, a great message to wrap on, up on guys. So, you know, make sure that maybe look into mushrooms. You know, we've learned a lot of cool things today. Uh, talking to Remy, check out daily rituals. Uh, and, you know, if you get the chance, uh, you definitely will not want to miss watching this video on YouTube. The band interview, uh, Remy LaBeouf, not spelled L-E-B-U-F, <laughs> spelled L-E space B-O-E-U-F. Oh, bravo. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, hop on over to Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, uh, everything where it's out. Check out Light as a Word. Great band on it. Great music on it, which is even more important. Uh, and thank you so much, Remy, for coming on. Thank you.